Good morning, Generations Church. My name is Rick Cook, and this morning I want to bring to you another confession as I get started. I have told a lot of stories to you, and uh, a lot of them are harebrained stories where I do something crazy or silly, or this time it's something that was a little more hurtful. And the question that this story raises is, can a person be forgiven? Can you rebuild trust after you've betrayed somebody? When I was a uh, rising freshman in high school, I arrived at high school with a best friend from junior high, and we had agreed to be locker partners. Our high school had um, locker assignments divided by grade, so the lowest priority, the freshmen were on the third floor lockers, the sophomores and juniors were on the middle, second floor, and the seniors got the prestigious first floor lockers. I recall my sister uh, came to me and she said, she was willing to pull me into her locker. She was a rising senior and she had a first floor plum locker assignment. And she had been approached by a friend. I guess it's a friend that she was trying to avoid at that point in her life. And her friend had said, hey, let's be locker partners. And my sister said, oh, sorry, I can't. I've already uh, asked my brother to be my locker partner. And so I had that opportunity as a sophomore to get a first floor locker. And I decided to do that. I recall when I told my friend after we had been locker partners for our entire freshman year that I was going to go to be with my sister to be on the first floor. I was so excited to tell him. I remember he didn't get mad, but he said a comment that I still remember. He said, oh, I thought we'd be locker partners for all four years. I don't think we were ever as close after that again. I recall uh, when my sister found her locker assignment, our locker assignment, her friend, that same friend was right next door. And so my sister, still not wanting to be near that person, had found yet another friend and she had moved out. So I ended up as a sophomore with a first floor locker all to myself. And throughout the year, my friends would go by and they'd see me on the first floor at my locker and they'd say, oh, wow, how did you get that? And they were jealous. But I recall I don't think it was worth it. I recall I went to my friend and said, you know what, my sister has moved out. I have the locker now to myself. And I invited him to join me on the first floor. And he said, no. He said he'd already found a new locker partner and he was going to stay where he was. Can we ever rebuild a relationship? Can we ever rebuild trust? I think the same question we can raise with God. Can we ever rebuild our relationship with God? Once we've betrayed God, can we ever rebuild that relationship? Have you ever struggled with lust or with anger or with a lack of faith or with greed? Have you ever fallen away from God? If you have, you maybe have struggled with this question. 
Can God forgive me? We are looking this morning at the Gospel of Mark. We're starting a brand new series on the Gospel of Mark today. We're doing an introduction, and the topic is Mark. We're going to be talking about the author of Mark, and this is somebody who had broken a relationship, and he was forgiven. So we will be looking at Mark, and we'll be doing a quick overview of the book of Mark. The outline of what we want to do this morning is we will start with a discussion of John Mark, the author of the gospel. Then we'll quickly look at the outline of Mark, the characteristics of Mark. And at the end, we will watch a video of Mark chapter 1 that displays how Mark is supposed to be read, how Mark is supposed to be listened to. So let's get started. We are starting by looking at John Mark. Let us pray together. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us and guide us through this morning and throughout the Gospel of Mark. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we turn to Mark 1 verse 1. Note that there is no title written onto the Gospel of Mark. So verse 1 is often considered the title of the book. And so it says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So this is the beginning. And what I want to say about the beginning is that it is a story that continues. The book of Mark is unique in that it doesn't seem to really have an ending. It has a strange ending. If you recall, it ends with the story of Jesus and the resurrection. And then the women go to the tomb and the angel speaks to them and tells them to go tell Peter that Jesus is risen again, and they're trembling, and they go off, and that's the end. Or, there is no end to the Gospel of Mark. I think we can understand Mark as being an ingenious conclusion, because what it says is that they go and tell Peter, and the story goes on and on. So this is the story of the beginning of the beginning. In other words, the entire gospel of Mark is the beginning and the story continues. And in a sense, the way the ending is set up, we are part of the story. So in the beginning, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. I want us to think about this. This is a book uh, not by Jesus. Jesus never wrote a book. After the death of Jesus, there were oral histories, there were oral stories going on, and these were being passed around. But after several years, after a decade, two decades, some of the eyewitnesses began to die. And so it became incumbent upon the early church, upon the early Christians, to write down the stories of Jesus who had not written them down. So we have four Gospels. The first Gospel, 
Matthew was written between 50 and 60 AD. And then after that, Mark wrote his gospel. Then Luke was written about 60, 61. And then John was the final one written in about the year 90 or so. Mark is unique among those Gospels because it is an action Gospel. It's like the newspaper version, headline after headline, story after story. It's fast-paced. This happened, then immediately this happened, then this happened, upon that, then this happened. And the word immediately occurs over 40 times throughout the Gospel of Mark. And the theme of the entire book comes down to one thing. The theme is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is what we are looking for at the book when we look at the Gospel of Mark. Now, let us take time and focus on the author, John Mark. Mark is not identified. This is the title. Mark is not identified as the author of the book, but he is universally identified as the author in the early church. And so I think it's reasonable to hold that Mark is the author of the book of Mark. And what do we know about Mark from scripture? Actually, we don't know very much. If you read the gospels of Matthew, Luke, and John, what do they say about Mark or John Mark? Actually, they do not mention him at all. And Mark, the gospel of Mark, might also not mention him at all. So if we want to learn about Mark, we need to turn to the book of Acts chapter 12. When we Turn to Acts chapter 12, and when we first meet Mark, what we find is that Peter is in prison. The book of Acts is approaching its turning point. If you think about the book of Acts, the first 12 chapters focus on Peter and his ministry in Rome, and then the second part of the book from 13 through the end of the book of Acts focuses on Paul and taking the gospel to all nations. The persecution of the church has been ramping up. Stephen had been martyred in Acts chapter 8. And then James, the brother of John, was martyred in Acts chapter 12, just before the story. And with the ramp, ramp up of persecution, Peter was now arrested. And he was in line to be executed. Peter, he was being held by four squads of soldiers to guard him. And if that wasn't enough to keep him safe, and they were nervous about the Jews maybe coming in to spring him or him trying to escape in some way. So if four squads of soldiers wasn't enough, they also had him in chains. He was a very high value prisoner to them as the uh, situation was volatile at that point. In the meantime, the church was at prayer. Their plan wasn't to break in and try to spring Peter. No, their plan was to pray. And as we turn to this scene, we see Peter has fallen asleep. The next day, he would be executed. And then we read, Verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, 
he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Verse 9, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing. Had no I, he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. So there he is, the angel has sprung him out of prison and where will he go what will he do next when this had dawned on him that he had been sprung out of prison by the angels he went to the house of mary now there are lots of marys uh, in jerusalem at that time and so the author of the book of acts has to identify which mary now you might naturally assume that she would be identified by her husband, but apparently her husband has died. So she is identified here by her son. He goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. John Mark. So far, all we know about John Mark is that his mother is Mary, and Peter goes to their house where many people had gathered and they were praying. So this is a meeting place of the early church. And it's known to Peter when Peter is looking for a place to go where he can find the church, he thinks of Mary, the mother of John Mark. And there he goes. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda. So we learned that it is probably a large church because there are a number of people who are a large home because there are a number of people congregating congregated there. They are wealthy enough to at least have one servant named Rhoda. So we're learning a little bit more about John Mark, his mother Mary, and their circumstances. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. So she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. So we want to continue to follow this story. They say, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him. And they saw him. They were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Then he says, Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. Here this would be James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was the leader of the Jerusalem church. Notice, John Mark is not listed as an important person. Who is John Mark? All we know so far is that he does not stand out. He knows Peter, and Peter has been to his house. So let us again continue to follow the story. In Acts 12, verse 28, we see John Mark mentioned again. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, so Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, had been to Jerusalem. They were from 
Antioch, and they had gone to Jerusalem on a mission. And when that mission was completed, they were returning back from Jerusalem to Antioch. And who do they take with them? Taking with them John, also called Mark. And so for some reason, the young man, John Mark, was selected to be an assistant, to go and to help them on their return journey. Well, why of all the people of Jerusalem church, why was John Mark chosen? Well, maybe it was a little bit of uh, nepotism because we see in Colossians 4.10 that Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. So John Mark, now we know, the cousin of Barnabas, and he accompanies Barnabas and Paul when they go to Antioch. And then we go on to Acts 13, 1 and 3. Now we don't know how long they have been in Antioch, but the church in Antioch now makes a decision that they are going to send out a missionary team to preach the gospel. Now in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who has been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. Again, John Mark, not listed among the leaders. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. They will be the missionaries. They will go on this first missionary journey for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So there's this beautiful ceremony, the calling of the Holy Spirit. They place hands on these key leaders who are to take the gospel to the nations. And now they are on their way. And who joins them? The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. John was with them as their helper. What is the role of John Mark? What is the role of Mark on this mission? He's not an evangelist. He's not a preacher. He's not a speaker. He's a helper. Maybe it would be like a business manager going along, taking care of all the important matters. But he is the helper. That is all we know about John Mark. The ministry, it turns out, was difficult. If we follow Acts chapter 13, we find out they were opposed by enemies. They were opposed by evil spirits. They were doing healings. They were doing exorcisms. The travel was treacherous. And then we turn to Acts 13, 13, and we learn another tidbit about John Mark. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. Mark left them. He didn't go back to Antioch. We might guess that if he'd gone back to Antioch, they would not have welcomed him for having left his position as the helper of Paul and 
Barnabas, but he went back to Jerusalem. And then he disappears from the story for several years. And he will only he will only reappear again several years later in Acts chapter 15. And in verse 36, this is what we learn about John Mark. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. At this point, they've completed their first missionary journey. They have returned. They've given a full report to the churches. And now is time that they are going to make a second missionary journey. And Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them. There really is no detail about why John Mark had left earlier in the story. But now we see he deserted them. It was a hard ministry. It was a hard mission. And he deserted them because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Paul and Barnabas could not agree. Barnabas insisted on taking his cousin, John Mark. He insisted and insisted, and Paul insisted and insisted. And finally, they had to part ways. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. So that is who... John Mark is. That is what we know about John Mark. And John Mark again disappears from our story. Two years later, he shows up again, and we see here in Colossians, Colossians 4.10, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus, here this is Paul writing Colossians, um, this is a letter from Paul to the church at Colossae. Paul is in Rome, in prison. This is his first imprisonment in Rome, the first of two times that he was held in prison. And so he writes, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings. So he's sending a friendly greeting. I greet you, Paul. I greet you. Uh, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, he greets you. As does Mark the cousin of Barnabas. So here, a couple years later in Colossians, we see the relationship between Paul and Barnabas has been restored. Something dramatic has happened and Mark is in the good graces of Paul. There has been a beautiful reconciliation. And how long though do you imagine that reconciliation lasts? Well, let us go to 2 Timothy. And here we look at Paul's final letter. This is now 22 years after Peter's release from prison when he went to the home of Mary and John Mark. 22 years, 23 years later, Paul will soon be martyred for his faith 
in Jesus Christ. And he has fought the good fight. He has run the race. And this is what he writes to Timothy. Do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, because he has loved the world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas has betrayed him. Another one who deserted. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. And there's this picture of Paul on the eve of his execution, on the eve of his homecoming to Christ's loneliness. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, he writes to Timothy. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Mark has become a faithful help, helper to the Apostle Paul at the end of his life. Mark had been restored. It is possible for God to use you. A restored deserter. And he is together with Paul at the end. But Mark has another significant relationship, as if it isn't enough that he is so close to the Apostle Paul. He's not a preacher. He's not an evangelist. He's not a pastor. He doesn't have any of those gifts, apparently, as far as we know. He's a helper, but he also has another relationship, and that is with the Apostle Peter. It would appear that he knew Peter uh, from the time he was a child or a young man, and uh, he was given the opportunity to hear Peter preach. But it appears that that relationship started early in his life and continued late into his life. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 5.13. And in this chapter... In this book, Peter is writing from Rome, and he's writing to the church, he's writing to the Roman believers, and he's writing to the Roman believers and to all believers beyond Rome, and he sends his greetings to the Christians from Rome. He's sending his greeting, and look what he says. He says, she who is in Babylon, here she would be the church, and Babylon would be a code word um, for Rome. I think when we send emails, uh, sometimes we don't want to write out the word Beijing or write out a, a word that might be a keyword. And uh, here is a keyword Rome. And so instead of saying Rome, uh, Peter writes Babylon. So she, the church who is in Rome, this is a code word for Rome, she who is in Rome, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. The church in Rome sends you her greetings. And so does my son, Mark. Mark the deserter is referred to at the end of the life of Peter as my son. He is probably the, he's not the physical son of Peter. He's probably the spiritual son. It is probably Peter who Mark heard first the gospel from. Peter Preaching about Jesus. Preaching about the story of the resurrection was heard by Mark. 
And Mark responded and became a spiritual child of Peter. And when Mark disappeared for 10 years, we said he left, he abandoned, he deserted Paul, but he returned to Jerusalem. And what we understand is that Mark, at least part of the time, he spent it with Peter, and he would have heard over and over again the stories of Peter. And here at the end of his life, as Peter is taken into Rome, again, Mark is together with Peter. And we can imagine Peter, every time he preaches, he recalls what he saw. He recalls what he witnesses. He recalls the day. Imagine Mark watching Peter day after day saying, and then when Jesus asked me, but who do you say that I am? Peter would have said, I said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Mark would have heard that. And when Peter said, Jesus asked me three times, I had denied Jesus. Three times I had denied him just as he had predicted. But then after the resurrection, Jesus asked me, do you love me? Mark would have heard Peter tell that story over and over again. And why does all of this matter? Because it is John Mark who is going to take those stories from Peter. This is the record of the early church, that it was through Peter that John Mark learned the firsthand eyewitness accounts of the ministry and teaching of Jesus. He witnessed the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And Mark, who heard Peter tell those stories over and over again, now had this opportunity. Now had this opportunity to write down the story, the Gospel of Mark. John Mark, the deserter, was greatly blessed by the Holy Spirit, greatly blessed by God. Let me quickly look at the outline of the book of Mark. We see that it really divides into two halves. It's 16 chapters, Mark 1 to 8 and Mark 9 to 16. And at the center of the gospel, what I want you to notice is this verse, Mark 8, 29. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? That is Jesus speaking to the apostle Peter, or the disciple at that time. And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. So everything from Mark 1 to Mark 8, everything that happens in those first chapters is to prove Jesus is the Christ by his deeds and his words, by his teaching and by his miracles. Everything he does is pointing to who is the Christ. And then after that, he turns his face toward Jerusalem and everything after Mark 8.29 from Mark 9 through six, uh, 16. The same point, it's to prove Jesus is the Christ, but now he does it by his death and his resurrection the characteristics of the book. Mark is primarily an action gospel. It is the newspaper version. Everything is fast-paced. The word immediately, immediately this happened, then this happened, next happened. The word in the original language is for immediately appears over 40 times. The target is the Romans. It's not written to Jews. Uh, 
And so it's written uh, straightforward. It's written mostly for people who are illiterate. So it's people who will hear the gospel. There's no introduction. There's no conclusion. As I already said, this book is just the beginning. And it is meant to be uh, read aloud. It is meant to be experienced by the hearers. Fast pace. Go, go, go. And you hear the stories and you picture it in your mind's eye. And the theme is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. To give us a sense of how this book works. I found a video clip from YouTube. I got permission to show it. I we contact the church, we contacted Fellowship for Performing Arts, and so we have permission to play this video. And I want you to listen to it. Um, it's an actor called Max McLean, and he is reading or performing the book of Mark. And I want you, as you listen to this, to hear Mark, to see Mark, the deserter who has been restored and has heard these stories sitting at the feet of Peter. Watch. The Gospel of Mark, Chapter 1. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net in the lake, but they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, 
and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as he left the synagogue, he went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! <laughs> Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else. <laughs> to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came, and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead he went away, began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Let us be praying for our series on the Gospel of Mark. Let me encourage you to go ahead and read through the Gospel. Find a audio version of the Gospel of Mark and listen to it because in some ways it's more powerful as it's listened to. Or you might find these videos. I believe all 16 chapters are on YouTube and you might watch those videos. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would bless this church, that we would know that we can be forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We know that we can be restored even if we have deserted. 
we can be restored. We praise you and we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.